I'd like to ask the rest of us to please open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Verses 8 through 11 will be our text this morning. Now, we are uh, finishing up a series called What About Monday? as we take a look at the effects of the resurrection, not just on what happened Easter Sunday, but what happens in our lives because Jesus has risen from the dead. Um, as you're turning there, I wanted to share with you a bit of news that ever since Friday night, I have been so excited to share this with you. We have our routine with Emma where as we get ready to go to bed, we'll gather around her bed, my, me, my wife, and our nurse, and we'll pray with Emma and just, you know, talk about the day, things that have happened. Well, this past Friday night, I don't know what laid, what it was the Lord, but the Lord laid on our hearts to do something different. So I started by saying, Emma, would you B-L-I-N-K? And without hesitation, she blinked both of her eyes. We started going from there. Jody, my wife, spelled the word tongue, which I'm glad she did because to this day I misspell tongue. <laughs> she spelled tongue without hesitation. Emma stuck her tongue out. We had her hands, and Jody said, Emma, I want you to squeeze my hand T-W-O times. Two squeezes. And we were absolutely blown away because we know Emma hears us. She has memories. She'll say, or she'll nod her head yes or shake it no. But to hear something spelled and then do it has just blown us away. So we're praying for guidance. We'll be talking with her doctors to say, we're seeing this now. So what do we need to do? Because this opens up a whole new area of communication on what's possible. So well, praise the Lord for that. I couldn't wait to share with you this morning. Amen. Philippians 3, we're diving in mid-chapter, and in a few moments I'll set the context of what is going on here. But I want to begin by reading verses 8 through 11. The Apostle Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God be glorified in the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Well, yesterday the Lord blessed us with a beautiful weather day and just a lot of fun as we played the Pastors Masters Golf Tournament. We do this to raise money for the Tennessee Baptist Children's Homes. Now it's not unusual to have events to raise money for charities. It's done all around the world. In fact, every year in San Francisco there is a high dollar auction that takes place to raise money for the homeless and the poor within the city. I say high dollar because one of the forces behind it is Warren Buffett, known as one of the richest men, if not the richest men in the world. And every year he auctions off an hour and a half of his time to have lunch with the highest bidder. 
So keep those, if I find those dates, I'll get them to you next year. Just so you'll be prepared when you go in 2019, which the last time they did it because of COVID, an hour and a half lunch with Warren Buffett went for $3.4 million. Just bring your checkbook, no problem. Now think about that for a moment. It's incredible. Of course, it comes down to how much you want to spend to, and can spend to, to have lunch with someone. But just use your imagination with me for a moment. What would it be worth to you or how much would you spend to have lunch with your favorite athlete? How much would you spend to have dinner maybe with your favorite movie star? Or, or to have lunch with your favorite uh, entertainer? How much would you spend? Well, I want you to recognize that in this passage we read, the Apostle Paul said that to know Jesus is worth everything. $3.4 million is not even a drop in the bucket as to what knowing Jesus is worth. Because you'll notice he makes an amazing statement in verse 8. He says, I count everything as loss. Now, I want you to notice the repetition that Paul uses here. Verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Verse 8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Look at the end of verse 8. I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. And by the way, that translation rubbish is a very gentle translation of the Greek word. The Greek word there means dung. I count everything as dung, manure, compared to knowing Jesus. So you have in these two verses this idea emphasized three times. What is knowing Jesus worth? Everything. I count everything as loss compared to knowing Jesus. So it begs the question, what things, what things are Paul considering loss? Well, this paragraph comes in at a time where Paul is warning the church, warning us about the dangers of those who will try to convince you that the way to get to heaven is by your works. In fact, in verse 2 he says, look out for the dogs. Paul didn't pull any punches here. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about those who would say this earthly legalism, this rights and wrongs, these do's and don'ts. Or what will make you right with God? Then Paul uses an example from his own life. He says if anybody would have had reason to trust in their actions and morality and lineage to be right with God, Paul says that he would have. Verse 5, he says, my lineage was impeccable. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of ben Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law of Pharisee. He says his passion in verse 6 was exemplary, persecuted the church. He, he was a man that did not sit on the sidelines when it came to standing up for God. But at the end of verse 6, he reminds us that his morality was beyond question. He was blameless. Paul says that everything that he had, that he relied upon for right standing with God, is nothing to him now. He does not rely on reputation, upon lineage, upon zeal, upon any morality that he may have. He says the one thing that is worth all things is knowing Jesus Christ. That is of the greatest value. And the emphasis in verses 8 through 11 is on knowing. That term knowing, as you read it in these passages doesn't deal with your intellectual knowledge of learning facts about Jesus. 
It's a word that speaks of experience, of relationship. You see, that's one of the unique things about Christianity. We hold that our God is knowable and wants to know us. That makes Christianity unique. Our God interacts with creation. He can know and be known. God is not an impersonal force that is just active in the universe. Electricity is a force. Electricity can move things. Believe me, if you've ever put your hand on an electric fence, it moves you. Electricity can illuminate your home. It can shock you. It can warm you. But it cannot know you. You can't have a conversation with electricity. Electricity cannot share life with you. It's a force, impersonal. Our God is not a force. God is person who allows us to enter into a relationship with him that we can know him and he grows in that relationship with us. And the pinnacle of his personal revelation is Jesus Christ who entered into this world so that you and I can have a relationship, an experiential relationship with God. Now, that tells us why Jesus is the most valuable of all the things we could have. In many ways, it's self-evident. Think of it like this. How valuable is a life raft to a person adrift at sea? How valuable is a cup of water to a person in a desert? How valuable is air to a person underwater? Those things are of surpassing value. Without them, you will not survive. So when it comes to eternity... Jesus is the life raft that you need. He is the cup of water your heart desires. He is the air that gives you life, and there is no other. So to know him is of surpassing value. And Paul in verse 9 uses this language, and be found in him. That's the language of union with Christ. It's the language we've come back to time and time again in the last few weeks. That little preposition in or with speaks of union with Christ. We are with him. We are in him. That's another way of saying we are saved. We are, sa we are experiencing Christ as our Savior. Now, at the latter part of verse 9 or in the middle of it, it's crucial. He says, I want to be found in him. In other words, I want to have this relationship with Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Word righteousness there means a way of being right with God. So Paul says, I don't want to come to Christ relying on my own righteousness that comes from the law. And the reason is the law cannot make us right with God. We will fall short of God's glory because our own righteousness is unable to make us right with God. We have an inability to follow the law to the extent that we need to to be right with God. Our righteousness gets us nowhere with God. Now, to wrap, help, or for me anyway, to wrap my minds around this, I thought of it like this. Now, follow with me here. In marriage, you learn that a happy marriage, successful marriage, is one of give and take. You sacrifice for the other person. Now, as I said, bear with me here. Until I got married, I had never, with the Lord as my witness, watched an episode of Little House on the Prairie. Never. I have become very well acquainted with the Ingalls family over the course of my marriage. The Olsons, 
Everyone. Now, there is one episode. Yeah, I want to talk about an episode of Little House on the Prairie where Charles gets word that a distant relative of his has passed away back east and has left Charles an inheritance. Now, this, of course, excites the, the Ingalls family who are, who are poor, and they fight the urge. They are, they're fighting the urge not to start running up credit, but you know, you know how the Olsons are. And before he knows it, he is tempted and starts running up a bill at Olson's Mercantile. The day comes when he thinks he's going to receive the inheritance. The lawyer shows up and he's got this treasure chest with him. The family gathers around. The chest is opened and inside of it, it is filled with bills upon bills upon bills of currency. All of them with the picture of Jefferson Davis on them. His inheritance was Confederate money worth nothing this is where I was going with this if we are relying upon our works to make us right with God we're trusting an inheritance that's confederate money we'll stand before God and we will be penniless we'll have nothing that's why the next phrase is so crucial because he says I don't want my righteousness that comes from the law but he said rather I want the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God. You see, the glory of the gospel is that where we are powerless to be made right with God, by faith, God gives us, attributes to us, accounts to us the righteousness of Jesus. So that on the day we stand before God, we're not trusting in our righteousness, our works. We're not trusting that we've been good enough our faith is that Jesus has been good enough. Our faith is that Jesus died to pay our penalty so that we are with him, so that in his name, by faith in his name, we are granted the righteousness of God, and therefore we are found in Christ. It all comes from connection with Christ. When our oldest daughter was younger, we took a trip to Chattanooga to see the grandparents and decided as a part of that we were going to go to Lake Winnipesoka little small amusement park there outside of Chattanooga. And now Lake Winnipesoka is free to get into, but to ride the rides, you have to buy tickets. Okay, so that's, that's kind of the hook. You get in free, but then you, buy, you pay out the wazoo to get tickets to ride the rides. Well, as we were going, my father-in-law Clarence said, Mark, just go to the ticket booth and just tell them my name, and you'll be taken care of. At that point, I didn't really know exactly what that meant. So it was like, okay, what do I do here? Could Clarence be playing a joke on me? Because I could go up very easily and say, hey, Clarence Robertson has told me to tell you his name, and they would answer by saying, who? And then maybe that little bit of pride that said, you know what, I appreciate that, but it's my family. I'm going to pay $5 for a ticket to ride the uh, merry-go-round. Decided to step out in faith, go up to the booth and say, um, Clarence Robertson told me that I should stop by here and just let you know I'm his son-in-law. A smile came on the person's faith, face and they said, he left unlimited tickets for you. Faith in the name. Christ has said, you have righteousness in me. I have by faith. And if you are striving, living under the guilt that you've got to be good enough and perfect enough, stop striving and trust Him. 
The riches of God are yours by faith in Christ Jesus. When I say riches, look what Paul says next in verse 9. Not just to gain Christ, but to be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from his own. And then in verse 10, that I may know him, which is another way of saying be found in him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in death. You see, as we begin to experience Jesus, we begin to experience his power and his sufferings. It's interesting, those two go together. You can't experience the power of resurrection without a death. Remember, resurrection is not just a resuscitation of life. It's transformation and coming back to life with a new life. And the only way that can happen is through death. What's interesting is the order in which Paul writes them. We would think that he would say that I can share in his sufferings and share in the power of his resurrection, but Paul doesn't do that. It's as if Paul begins by giving us a reminder that we have the resurrection power in Christ now through his spirit so that whatever suffering we face in life, it will not do us in. The pain will not conquer us. Why? We have the resurrection power. Grief will not have the power to gloat in victory. Why? We have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ through the spirit. When he says the power, notice it's of his resurrection Resurrection is transformative. In other words, the power of God is strong enough to overcome death itself and bring transformation. It brings not only life out of death, but it brings new life. It is that power of God that brings beauty for our brokenness. It is the power of God that brings newness to our old corruption. It is a present tense force that is at work within us. Now, on one level, it is hard to define the power of God, the power of the resurrection. If you've experienced it, you know it. And often if you've experienced and you encounter those times where it's not, it doesn't seem to be active, you wonder what happened to it. Its absence makes you all the more aware. I do know it's a power that is at work within us. Now it's easy when we start talking about why don't we experience it. And I want to walk a careful line here. Because there are some that go to the extreme and say, well, if you're not experiencing the resurrection power in your life, something's wrong with you. And that's not always the case. We are not home yet. We sang that earlier. We're not home yet, which means we are still in these physical bodies that experience the ups and downs of life. We still get sick and tired. We still get weary. We still have days that are difficult days. And it's not sin. It's because we live in a fallen world. So there are days that we are just exhausted and we are just, Lord, help me. But yet at the same token, there are times where it is our pride that keeps us from experiencing the power of God. The Apostle Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's pleading to God to say, Lord, I've got this thorn in the flesh. Will you please set me free from it? He says, I I pleaded with the Lord three times. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Did you get that? God's power, his resurrection power, is made complete in our weaknesses. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. I'm content with weaknesses, for when I am weak, then I am strong. 
You see, it's the sufferings of life that will remind us we are not able on our own. And there are times where we will hit that wall that reminds us we are not able. Notice in verse 10 that sufferings is plural. It's not just a reference to the death of Christ on the cross. It's all the sufferings that Jesus endured when he wept at the pain of sin around him, when he grieved over those who had died, when he, he suffered the ups and downs of our life, not without sin, or without sin, but he suffered in those. The same things we experience in life, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And it's often in our pride that our response is, man up. Be strong enough. Katie Bowler is a professor at Duke Divinity School, and she wrote an article called The Gospel of Hustle. She points out, I think very poignantly in this article, how the American culture and the church has become immersed in self-help and popular theories on how we can build the perfect life. She says, you can have it all if you just learn how to conquer your limits. He sa she says, there is lurking somewhere at the bottom of your inbox or at the stack of self-help books on the bedside table the key you need to unlock your potential. At the age of 35, Bowler was diagnosed with incurable stage 4 colon cancer. 35 years old. She said everything in her life came to a stop. Now, at this time, she is still writing. Cancer has been managed with immunotherapy. But in this article, she, as she shares her story, she says, We are believers in the gospel of hustle, the gospel of efficiency, and the gospel of time management. We are convinced that we need to just discipline ourselves into better routines. But the whole idea of the formula breaks down when it can't solve the problem of being human. When we hurt. When we hit that moment where there's no easy answer. She said she found that the more she worked, the more work she got. So that even success looked like failure. It is so easy for us to buy into that. And in doing so, we rob ourselves of the power of God, the resurrection power. You know what one of the best prayers to pray is? Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I can't overcome this, but you can. Lord, I don't know what to do, but Lord, you know. Lord, I'm unable to cope with this. Lord, you help me. You see, the sufferings bring about a brokenness where we recognize the only power we have to rely upon is the power of God. And that is why the brokenness and the suffering of this world can be a blessing because it points us to God. And in that, we know the power of His resurrection. And that is a power that will enable us to be victorious. Not found in our own lives, but in Him. You know, the deepest that anyone has ever gone into the ocean is in a submarine going six miles down. But to do that, the, the, the sailors who were in that submarine not only needed oxygen, they needed something to protect them from the crushing weight of the ocean. So they're down in this submarine that has walls that are inches thick behind glass that is six inches thick so the pressure doesn't cr crush them like a, like a soda pop can. 
You know what the amazing thing is? Is that as they were six miles under and they turned on the lights outside of the vessel, they saw fish swimming around. Now you would think that fish six miles down would look like tanks. But these fish were translucent. You could almost see through them. And it's incredible. Why aren't they being crushed? And what biologists discovered is that within those fish, there is a mechanism that the deeper they go, that mechanism it pushes pressure outward equal to the pressure coming inward. So that they're able to endure whatever depths they're at. The Spirit of God is within us. And as we learn to rely upon Him, we will find that His presence in us enables us to endure the sufferings of this world. Because what did John write? Greater is He that is within us than He that is in the world. And the good news of the gospel is, is that the resurrection power we experience now is simply a deposit of what is to come. Look at verse 11. Paul says that by any means possible, I can attain the resurrection from the dead. Now that phrase, any means possible, is an expression of expectation, not doubt. He is saying, I will attain the resurrection of the dead by any means possible. The means is the grace and the power of God. He's looking forward to the day of the return of Jesus. And what he's looking forward to is the resurrection of the dead. A transformation of these bodies that is guaranteed by the resurrection power of Jesus. You see, sometimes we in the church fall into an ancient heresy called Gnosticism. Gnosticism taught that the body was evil, but the spirit was good. And that true salvation was that moment when your spirit was released from your body. You left the body behind and the spirit went on to whatever the next layer of, of, of existence is. We fall into that thinking when often... We only focus on heaven and being with God as disembodied souls floating around. That is not the gospel hope. The gospel hope is the resurrection of this body. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that we are buried corruptible, raised incorruptible. We are buried mortal. We are raised immortal. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said we long for this tent, which is this body that is temporary, to be torn down so that we might have a house, a home in the heavens. Now, often we read that and we think the home is heaven. No, he said have a home in the heavens. The home is the resurrected body that is permanent. Now, this probably, I hope, has your mind thinking, well, what about those in Christ that have already died? The scripture says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Believers who have already died are in the presence of the Lord, in relationship with God, aware, awake, experiencing God, talking with God, communing with God, but waiting the day when Jesus returns and we have resurrected bodies that will inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. That's what Paul's talking about. You see, because if the bodies aren't resurrected, Satan could look at God and say, you may have gotten everything else, but I destroyed those physical bodies. And God says, no, there is not one aspect of creation that he will not redeem. So Paul says, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. I love the old spiritual that says, there ain't no grave going to hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise right out of the ground. I like that. That's our hope. 
And the resurrection power that is at work within us right now reminds us that Jesus will bring to completion his work of salvation. Tim Keller tells the story of a minister that was visiting in Italy. He saw a grave there of a man who had died, and this man was an adamant atheist who did not believe in the resurrection. But this man had his doubts. So to make a statement that he wanted no part of the resurrection if there were to be one, he left orders that a thick stone slab was to be placed over his grave. And on top of that slab were written the words that basically said, I will not rise again. But something had happened when he was buried. Apparently a small acorn had fallen into his grave. And over time that acorn began to grow. And that acorn grew into a tree that split that slab in two. And now over the centuries next to that grave is this huge oak tree. The minister looked at it and he said, If an acorn which has the power of biological life in it can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's power, resurrection power, do in a person's life? Church, I call us today to rely on that power. If you're discouraged, know that God has not quit. Just keep going to Him in prayer saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. I want to ask you to bow your heads with me, if you will. Father, we come before you and we recognize that we are all on the same level. We are all needy. Father, we are weak, we are limited, but God you have supplied us through the Holy Spirit, the resurrection power. So, Father, in the ups and downs of life, I pray that we will know that power as a constant. I pray, O oh God, that you would continually remind us that in the sufferings we face in life, you have not abandoned us, but you are at work. And I pray, Lord, that we will echo every day what Paul said, that we will seek you above all things. And know the surpassing value of being found in Christ. Grant this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.